Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. As we continue our march to training camp, 10 big questions. If you missed it, we covered three of them in yesterday's episode. But Alex, three more to knock out today. Yeah, three more big questions all about the kids. We talk about Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly, if the Knicks will be able to find the right amount of minutes for them. Talk about if Quentin Grimes maybe has more to his game than what we thought and if his summer league is foretelling of what could be to come. And talk about Cam Reddish. What's the deal with Cam Reddish? What are the Knicks going to do with him? How are things going to work out there? All next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms. That includes on YouTube. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. You may have heard. You can check them out on all social media at thestrick.land. And we are teaming up today to continue our series of big Knicks preseason questions. So Alex, without further ado, I will get right into it. The first one um, to me, maybe the biggest one on this list. Maybe it could just be because of personal investment in these two players. But I, I think this is a question that will ultimately define this next season and whether or not this Leon Rose regime um, and, and in, in an even earlier fashion, whether or not this Tom Thibodeau regime is here to stay. And that is will Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly Finish the season averaging at least 25 points per game. And if so, how exactly do we get there? Well, 25 minutes per game, to be clear. You said points. 25 points per game would be awesome, though. <laughs> I would. I, I Look, I'm, I am I got high expectations, man. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for both. <laughs> um, yeah, to, to address the minutes part, I mean, again, though, if the end of the last season is any indication, maybe 25 points per game, not too, uh, not too far off. But... Uh, as far as the minutes, yeah, it's going to be rough. Like I, I think like most questions, this mostly falls on Tibbs and then on some of the veterans, right? Like so, we've heard from Mark Berman that Tibbs apparently regrets not playing Obi Toppin more, and this was like we heard this from him like right at the end of last season. Now, granted, maybe Tibbs has softened on that. Maybe that he was just being like a prisoner of the moment or whatever. Like although. In that case, I would argue that that was not a bad thing if he was a prisoner of the moment and was like, wow, <laughs> put, him, put, him, put him back in jail. If, yeah, if put, <laughs> put him back in moment jail. Um, but, you know, like, was he just regretting that because of OB scoring like 30 per game for the last like five games of the season and realizing like, oh, crap, maybe there was something here. Is he going to completely regress on that and, and you know, renege on that and be like, no, never mind. 
Obi still should only be playing only the minutes that Julius Randle isn't playing and Julius Randle should play 35 a game. Who knows? Like it, it comes down to Tibbs. It comes down to Julius. It comes down to, in the case of IQ, I think Derek Rose is a, a big question mark there. Um, how much is Rose going to be playing? Uh, you know, if he's healthy and considering his relationship with, with uh, Tibbs, you know, how much is, is Quentin Grimes going to be playing at the two, you know, considering there's only so minutes to back up RJ Barrett at the three. Um, how many minutes is Evan Fournier going to be pay- playing because he's got such a big price tag on him, you know, that it's like guys making $18 million a year and started all of last year, set the Knicks three point record. Like I actually do think that he was worth his contract last year. Uh, I just think I would prefer to see Emmanuel quickly in, in some of his minutes just because I like quickly even more. Uh, but it, there's so many questions and most of them have to do with roster bloat and Tibbs's preferences for veteran players. Although I guess that also kind of begs the question, when does a player become a veteran? Like I would say once you're in your third year of your contract, in the case of Obi Toppin, you're like 25 years old. I think they're both, I think quickly in Toppin are veterans at this point. They're young veterans, but they're guys that understand the NBA and clearly have NBA game speed figured out and everything else. So I don't know, Gavin. It, it's going to be difficult to find 25 minutes for them, though. But I, I think we're in agreement and most of the fan base is in agreement. And maybe even some people within the Knicks are in agreement that, like, these guys really need minutes. And, and Tibbs is going to have to find a way to do it, regardless of what veterans are on the roster bloating things up. Yeah, I mean, and to that point, we you mentioned... Mark Berman reporting, I think for the first time on this podcast, that that notion that Tibbs was softening on Obi Toppin, we we got uh, months later from Ian Begley. This was three days ago. He said in his latest piece for SNY that, quote, there is an expectation that Emmanuel quickly will get an increased role early on in 2022-23 per people familiar with the matter. And now my, my question after that was, all right, is that an increase from what he did post all-star break, which was 27 and a half minutes per game, or is it an increase from what we saw from him pre all-star break, which was 21 and a half minutes per game. I, I would be stunned if quickly open the, I would be pleasantly stunned, but stunned all the same to quickly open the season, averaging more than 27 and a half minutes per game. So to me, it, it would be more so a solidification of what that was post all-star break and that Tibbs wants to maintain Emmanuel quickly in that role, but but what would that actually take? Assuming Derek Rose and Julius Randle are still on this roster, right? Because those those are at least on paper the two. I mean, for Randle is is the clear and only impediment to Obi Toppin playing minutes. With quickly, it's a little bit more complicated because you could say Quentin Grimes is part of that conversation, Evan Fournier is part of that conversation, Jalen Brunson is part of that conversation, Derek Rose is part of that conversation, on and on and on. But clearly, if Rose was moved. I think this would all be a lot easier. That being said, assuming those moves do not happen, I put together a little mock sketchup of a rotation that would get these guys to the appropriate amount of minutes. And now these aren't necessarily the minutes I would ideally play all these guys because I think I'd have Julius Randle at a lot less. Um, but approximately what a realistic rotation would look like with these guys playing more than 22 minutes per game, um, or rather 25 minutes per game at the point guard spot. I have Jalen Brunson getting 28, Emmanuel quickly getting just two there, and Derrick Rose getting 18. But then at the two, I have Emmanuel quickly getting 24, Quentin Grimes getting 12, 
Evan Fournier getting 12 at the three, RJ getting 34, Grimes getting 14 at the power forward, Randall getting 26, Obi getting 22 at center, Mitch getting 22, Hartenstein getting 20, Obi getting six. So if you weren't following along, if you didn't do the math, that's 26 minutes for Emmanuel quickly. That's 28 minutes for Obi Toppin. Uh, that's basically the most I could carve out with all these guys still on the roster. You could certainly make an argument that you could just scrape Evan Fournier from the rotation entirely and push quickly closer to 30 minutes and push Grimes closer to 30 minutes. That wouldn't be the end of the world for me because even, even if Fournier, I would say in the aggregate, and, and this is this is a conversation when you look at Quickly's playmaking versus just how insanely efficient Fournier is as a scorer and how much respect he gets as a four spacer. I, I just think Quickly, regardless of the Knicks' future, which which clearly favors playing Quickly, I would just say Quickly's flat out the better player now because of what he brings to the table defensively. I still have Fournier slotted in for that many minutes because I think there are spots where you where you just want that kind of shooting. There are spots where you want his scoring, and and there are going to be injuries. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, is that approximately how you would get those guys to these minutes, Alex, assuming there's no trade? Uh, I actually think that I would I would focus more on cutting Rose's minutes, to be honest. Like, I just think at this point, I mean, we saw last year, granted, maybe it was a freak thing or whatever, but like Rose had like the bone spur on his ankle. Like, then he was really close to coming back, but then had the staph infection. So like, I think that his, uh, his whole... Uh, uh, you know, situation was a little, uh, a little murky where people thought that he like got injured for the whole season, but staph infections are sort of a freak thing. And it wasn't really telling that like he was less healthy or anything, but even so like at his advanced age with his injury history, like I would almost want him to be more like a breaking case of emergency, like practice coach, you know, sort of guy at this point, which Maybe that's doing him a disservice because we've seen that he has so much good play left in him, you know, based off what he did in 2021. But he's just the guy to me that makes the most sense to cut the minutes off of because it's like Fournier is in his prime. He is the better three point shooter, which I think would be a more valuable skill set to have quickly. I think can do everything pretty much that Rose can do at this point in his career, except better. And he's younger and more worth developing. So, I kind of just think that that's, you know, I feel like that won't be a popular answer, like in the YouTube comments or whatever, but I feel like that's the way that I would go is to cut Rose's minutes, almost make him almost take him completely out of the rotation, you know, maybe a few token minutes a game just to keep his legs warm and whatever. But like, I would basically remove him from the rotation, make it all Brunson and quickly at the one and then give quickly a few minutes at the two with Brunson while also giving Fournier and Grimes a decent amount of minutes there too. Um, and then allowing Fournier and Grimes also to potentially slot down to the three in relief of RJ Barrett sometimes. Uh, then the other thing with, with Obi, like I'm with you as far as how that all broke down. Like, I think you just, if Julius is going to continue being like a 30 plus minute per game player, you have to find some minutes for Obi at the five or like nominally the five quote unquote, like just Julius, and OB is your front court because otherwise there's no way you're going to be able to find the right amount of minutes to make, you know, OB's development continue on a good path. And Tibbs might not like not having the like perfect room protection or whatever there, but get creative then and set the team, you know, on a course to be running more, which is what they've done in like the, <laughs> this is an exaggeration, but probably not that far off, like the 20 minutes that we've gotten to see, uh, you know, Obi and Julius play together so far, 
that's what they usually do. They run and it's really fun and they score tons of points. And, you know, that's what you do when you're making up for having a lack of interior defense on the other end is you just stop as many possessions as you can on that end. And then even if you don't stop possession, just get out and run right away and, you know, make these teams pay for, you know, not having guys out there that are fast enough to keep up with your four or five arrangement. So hopefully we'll get to see that. I don't know, five, six, seven minutes a game, something like that. And I think that would get you right about where you need to get to with Obi. Yeah, I think, and and maybe this is, this is a full episode's worth of the conversation, but spoiler, none, none of our big questions are around Derek Rose, but I'm, I'm kind of regretting that a little bit because to me, assuming he stays on this roster, the, the calibration of his minutes is going to be, t- I think, for what this team not only looks like, but just how good they are. This season, because it's it, we, we highlight on this podcast a decent amount, but it's easy to forget that I, I think Rose, once he came onto the Knicks, was clearly their best player over second team All NBA performer Julius Randle two seasons ago. And you go back and you look at some of the on offs from that season. He was one of the most impactful players in the NBA in, in terms of how he swung the direction of basketball games. And I think the trade-off you're looking at is, I mean, to, to what you said, like that Emmanuel quickly can do a lot of what Derrick Rose can at this point. How how much of that is true that Brunson and quickly just make Rose superfluous? Because at the time, Rose's penetration and his ability to run an offense and, and even his pull-up shooting was, was something that just wasn't really on the roster outside of him. And I think especially his ability to manipulate defenses like when he'd get into the lane and he'd go up like he was going to shoot and then just whip jump passes to either corner that was an engine that the Knicks did not have outside of Rose and essentially a year and a half later now is that still true that Rose is the kind of player who's capable of that does he still have that kind of athleticism is he still good enough around the rim that he is one of the better finishers in the NBA even entering his mid-30s or has he diminished enough and quickly improved enough and Brunson is just flat out good enough that to your point, he's he's entirely inessential at this point because this was a guy who swung the entire trajectory of this team. And I, I have no idea if he's still that guy or if that's needed anymore. But to me, that that's sort of the big question. And to your point, in a world where quickly and Brunson can do that, then yeah, I'm entirely with you. Those minutes should go to Evan Fournier and, and you can figure out different configurations where you get quickly on the ball a little bit more and get to continue the highlight, the improved playmaking that he has. But I I, I, I just think Rose's health, his effectiveness is, is one of the more under-discussed storylines on the next going season. But we will continue to discuss all these storylines in just a sec. But first, Alex, we got to tell everyone about one of our favorites. It is, of course... Bet online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs. In sports info this season, you can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. It's also the fastest and easiest way, Alex to check in on the latest NBA playoff lines, the Chicago Bulls. That's the one I, I, I pulled up first. They're minus 180 to make the playoffs. They're plus 2150, excuse me, to miss the playoffs. They're kind of my, my low-key tank team this year. I think the continued delay of Lonzo Ball 
coming back who drove a lot of their success along with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, of course, early last season could portend very badly for them. I could see them sneakily missing the playoffs. I might throw some money down there. If you want to do the same, again, there's only one place to go. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online. It's where the game starts. All right, we are back. Segment number two on Locked On Knicks, continuing our big question series as we march forward to training camp. Alex, we touched on two of the three of the, uh, I don't even know. I, I feel like these guys are their own group. We, we touched on two of the three of Emmanuel quickly, uh, Obi Toppin and Quentin Grimes. We did not talk very much about Quentin Grimes. Is there more to Quentin Grimes than we think, Alex, following a monster summer league following him allegedly being somewhat of a deal breaker in the Donovan Mitchell talks. I went back just to find some of the quotes. One of them from the athletics, Tony Jones was the one player the Knicks are trying not to put in the deal is Quentin Grimes. They don't want Quentin Grimes in the deal under any circumstances. I get the sense that the jazz are very hesitant to do a deal that doesn't have Quentin Grimes in it. Um, Another one from Mark Berman said, quote, that the Utah is, Hot for Quentin Grimes. They're hot for him. There is belief around the league that Thibodeau would prefer to give up Barrett instead. Uh, So that just gives you an idea of how Quentin Grimes' former uh, reach at 25, I think according to some draft Knicks for the New York Knicks, um, a year later, allegedly a central part in the negotiations for three-time All-Star Donovan Mitchell. Alex, is there another level for Quentin Grimes? Yeah, that's that's like what's been making me think lately you know what i mean like what do the knicks know why the the whole mitchell thing was really eye-opening to me once stuff started coming out about how much they were looking to protect grimes versus guys like Toppin, quickly rj like mitch you know it's like all those guys i feel like have pretty strong cases and i you know it's not to say that grimes didn't have a great rookie year but you know i i, I struggled a little bit to view him as like quite as big of a piece as what they said, but then summer league happened. And like, one thing that I will say is, you know, we saw it took most of last year, unfortunately for us to finally see it come to play. But like the Knicks really treated quickly and Obi in last year's summer league, like primary options. And they were like the leaders of the team. And like Grimes was on that team and Grimes just kind of played his role. Like he basically learned how to play the role that, he eventually wound up playing in the NBA, which was just like a shooter, a good defender, you know, whatever. That was it. But they meanwhile really turned quickly loose as a point guard. They really turned Obi loose as like a borderline, like primary offensive option. Like, I think that's sort of how the work breakdown was last year in summer league was IQ was sort of like the facilitator and Obi was like the primary, you know, option on offense there. This year, it was like Grimes was everything. You know, like Deuce had a decent role on that Summer League team, but Grimes was like the alpha and the omega. Like they were having him initiate the offense. They were having him, you know, uh, you know, be the passer, the, you know, initiator in that way. They were having him initiate as far as creating his own shot and, you know, trying to finish inside. And, of course, doing his three-point shooting, which is his, like, calling card. But you know, bringing the ball up the floor a lot of, and then, you know, still being one of their best defenders and it worked out really good for them. The Knicks had their best summer league season, like maybe ever <laughs> made it to the summer league championship. Um, you know, it's just something that they basically never do. Uh, and, you know, had a, I, I think a really good showing led by Quentin Grimes and how good he was. 
so that kind of makes me think like, you know, we're, we're basing a lot of what we think about Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin on this late season stretch and them finally being empowered to be more than what they were before. I, I wonder if we're going to be having the same conversation next year about Quentin Grimes of like, Oh, well, Quentin Grimes really got a chance to show his skill, but maybe Grimes will even get that chance sooner because Tibbs apparently is like wildly in love with him. So maybe we'll see like this new version of Quentin Grimes as soon as like early in the season. But I was certainly intrigued by what I saw in summer league. I don't know if I was as sold on Grimes though, having that like new gear of being able to be like this primary initiator type player as I was with like quickly after summer league last year being like quickly can definitely be a point guard and like Obi with being like, Obi can definitely score like 20 points per game in the NBA and be like John Collins or something in that respect. Um, so I, I don't know where are you at with that Gavin? Cause it's, it's definitely, you know, if we're talking about intriguing questions going into the season, it's definitely one of the most intriguing things to me. Yeah, to me, the, the beauty of Quentin Grimes is that I think he can be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer in the NBA without ever being a primary option or even a facsimile of a primary option in his minutes. Um, I see his trajectory very similar to someone like Desmond Bain, which ironically, um, his trainer, Ben Perkins, in a, in a very good article was interviewed by our guy Jonathan Macri as part of the Knicks Film School newsletter. And that was the that was the trajectory he said that Grimes was aiming for in terms of a year one to year two leap. Going from this part-time, really good stocky shooter uh, slash defender to again a a 20 plus point per game scorer and someone who's maybe like if you if you did one of those like trade value columns, like I don't know, I think Bain at this point would be top. 65 or so in the NBA and I think Grimes is is honestly right in that mix like he, he he's going to be right there with with a Bain with the Mikhail Bridges um as one of the potentially I think elite role players in the NBA um his goals this offseason uh, according to Perkins were getting back to playing with the ball in his hands more using his physicality to get wherever he needs on the floor and being a more aggressive finisher around the basket and I, I would say he flashed all of that in summer league that that's kind of what I was stunned by in summer league, just how easy he got to the rim over and over and over again. And as Perkins notes um, in that article, this is a guy who at one point was the number one combo guard coming out of high school in the country. And we've seen flashes of that ability. I think the way it translates to actual NBA play is him attacking off a closeout. I mean, it's what we, what we always dream of for RJ Barrett, attacking a scramble defense, firing up maybe double digit three pointers per game, hitting somewhere around 40% of them. Uh, flashing some of the best hands in the NBA on the defensive end of the floor. I think he can make all-star teams. I think he can help teams win titles. I think he can be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer, all without ever being the guy who brings the ball up the court or is, with any great frequency, initiating your offense. Yeah, I I think I'm with you there. I mean, I I think Bain actually is kind of a great comparison, so it's good that his trainer brought that up as like a goal because I think that that's what... Grimes should be aiming for or like I still I still think if everything breaks 100% perfect which again you know everybody loves to latch on to these things is like well you're saying he's going to be no I'm not saying he's going to be this guy but like if everything will break 100% perfect for Grimes I think he could be like Clay Thompson I think that would basically be it like you don't necessarily want to trust him to be bringing the ball up the floor and setting up offense like Clay Thompson famously has scored like like gobs and gobs of points while dribbling like twice for an entire game. Um, But, you know, he bends defenses without even having to move that much. 
you know, and, and, you know, can just basically shoot threes and cut and that's it. But like be so elite at that, that he's amazing. And I, I hope that that's the path that Grimes ultimately takes. Uh, but Gavin, there's another guy wh- whose future I think is the most murky of anybody we're going to talk about on this podcast. And that's Cam Reddish. So we're going to take one more quick break and then come back and talk about Cam Reddish and where he could potentially go from here. All right, so we're back tackling our 10 big questions. This, These are questions, uh, what, four, five, and six in this episode uh, out of 10. We're going to have a couple more episodes breaking down the rest, the rest of this week. But Gavin, this one, this was one from you, uh, and I'll just read it because it's very simple. It's not like it needs much explanation. But what do the Knicks do with Cam Reddish? Uh, you, and, you you handled that really well, Alex. <laughs> I know it was it was really complex. It was a uh, it was quite the uh, quite the question to try to you know turn into into a you know introduce here. I don't know I don't know what I was going at there. Anyway, whatever. Cam Reddish, what do we do with him, Gavin? Here's that's the question. <laughs> I don't know. I you you just heard uh, about ten minutes ago me talking about my ideal Knicks rotation, and and he was. He was not in there. It's it's again. It's why I'm okay getting off of a uh, of Fournier or getting off of a Randall because it gives you a chance to figure out what Cam Reddish is. And to me, maybe this is sacrilegious to some people. I'm a lot more interested in what Cam Reddish could be than what I know Julius Randall is at this point. And that's with the qualifier that Cam Reddish has basically accomplished nothing in the NBA. He had one season where he shot over forty percent from three. He had one. Playoff game, which to be fair, did come in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, I think, if I'm remembering, if it was against the Bucks, where he had something like 24 or 26 points, which is cool. He hasn't really done much in the league that that warrants this, but his his measurables, his potential, and his youth still do warrant a lot of excitement, especially because the Knicks are at a real deficit of big wings. There's no one else outside of RJ Barrett on this roster who's six foot eight, who's as smooth as reddish. And I'll even say, even ahead of Barrett, I think who has some of the like coordination and like ability to snake through small spaces, both offensively and defensively at Reddish's size. It's what we've always talked about with him. But if he, similar to what we say with Julius Randle, embraces the right qualities of his game, there is the outline of a $20 million player a year well, that was a mouthful, a, a $20 million a year player there uh, with Cam Reddish. And I, I want to see what it could be. I mean, Ian Begley had in that same piece about quickly that Reddish, by all accounts, has looked fantastic this offseason, that Thibodeau um, allegedly, allegedly, I don't know if this has always been true, but allegedly has always preached that um, each offseason is, he, he kind of wipes the slate clean and everyone has an equal chance to earn playing time when it comes to camp. I think in past offseasons, that was not true. We can keep our fingers crossed that it's true. This season, but Reddish will have a chance, allegedly, to earn a role. I hope he does. Alex, is that realistic at all? Am I am I dreaming? Is is there is there a pathway for him playing and playing well on this team this year? I don't know, and you know that's the whole thing. Like we, it's so funny that we literally knew that he was coming up later in the episode, and yet we made that whole rotation earlier in the episode, and I didn't even think about Cam Reddish for a second. You know, he's such. Unfortunately, he's become such an afterthought, I think, just because of the fact that the Knicks have these other guys that are working out so well and or have invested so much money in the very positions that Cam Reddish plays 
that it's like you don't really know what to expect as far as what he could carve out for himself in the in the Knicks rotation right now. Like, I guess I could see a world. I think, again, this all sort of hinges on Julius Randle. I guess the thing that I would potentially want to see if Julius would get moved is then, okay, you have Ovi as your starter, then your backup rotation in some way, shape, or form could have RJ and Cam at the three and four. And just so, like we saw some looks with Cam at the four last year, but only when the Knicks were like super injury stricken. So I get the feeling that that wouldn't be something that Tibbs would want to actively pursue. But like if that was on the table, I would love to see that again, because from what I remember of those, like, again, you know, we're basically almost on like 20 minute samples total, you know, over the course of a couple games. But from what I remember of those segments of play from Cam Reddish, like he did a pretty good job of like generating steals. And then, you know, the whole team would be out on the break, which is always fun and, and, you know, is always going to generate good offense. And, um, you know, if you could have an arrangement where you would just be like, all right, let's try to play like five out with, you know, Brunson quickly, RJ Cam and Hartenstein or something. That that seems like a pretty fun lineup to me and one that could potentially be disruptive. Like the whole thing with the NBA is you want to be you want to be doing something that not everybody else is doing. And I don't think that they're exactly reinventing the wheel by throwing Cam Reddish out there at the 4, but I think it is something that's drastically different from anything we've seen with the Knicks and like it's drastically different from what their standard lineup alignment would be which I think would be key to sort of unlocking something new in the team maybe unlocking something new in Cam Reddish um it actually sort of in many ways reminds me of you know you and I or at least I know I was like very much banging this drum of Kevin Knox at the four like Cam Reddish is definitely more talented than Kevin Knox like if that's not a knock on Knox <laughs> not, oh, it's been a while since I got to make a knock Knox pun um but it's <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it's not a knock on him but you know cam reddish definitely has more raw talent it's just you know how he harnesses it but i i think that that could be a potential way for reddish to find a role for himself almost like i mean i'm not putting them in the same category because i think this the other guy i'm about to say has it definitely had his nba career more figured out by this point but like we've seen that happen with like andrew wiggins right where wiggins kind of went from being a guy who's a miscast alpha, which Cam was never a miscast alpha. He's a guy who thinks he's a miscast alpha <laughs> being cast as a role player. Really, he should just start looking towards how to be a role player, but an, an appropriately cast beta. Yeah, an, an appropriately cast beta who thinks he's an inappropriately cast alpha. But, um, you know, Wiggins has sort of found his way and and has played some spot like four minutes for, you know, Golden State. And those minutes, they just run, run, run. And he, you know, uses his athleticism to take advantage of those mismatches and it works really beautifully for the Warriors. So maybe that's a path that could work for Reddish as he goes forward in his career. I I just, you know, without clearing some of this roster logjam, unfortunately, I feel like it's going to be just like last year, but even more exacerbated by the fact that like now you have a Jalen Brunson there who's going to, you know, that makes it more difficult to find minutes for quickly, which means less minutes for, you know, quickly at the one, which means quickly needs more minutes at the two, which means there's less open minutes at the two for Grimes, which means Grimes needs more minutes at the three, which then has this like trickle down effect that says, yeah. okay, now there's no minutes for Cam again. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, I think it ultimately just kind of comes down to Julius and 
also even without Julius, if if Tibbs is willing to sort of put on his creative hat, if he even owns such a hat, and uh, you know find some minutes for Cam that aren't just like traditional uh, three man minutes, which I feel like is all that he would ever put Cam in normally. Yeah, I think I think it's a great point. I think playing Reddish at the four would be a lot more palatable to Tibbs if he could have his, his safety blanket of, of Alec Burks at point guard again, where you just have a little bit more size across the board. I think one way you could you could replicate some of that where you have everyone playing like pretty well sized is by having quickly at the one with his wingspan um and, and just his defensive acumen there. Uh Grimes at the two, RJ at the three. Reddish at the four, and then one of Mitch or Hartenstein at the five. That that's a lineup I would love to see, and I think could certainly hold up defensively and offensively. Nominally, you have four shooters around a solid rim running center. Either way, that would be really intriguing. But I, I think I think what you're getting at is Reddish uh, provides flexibility for the Knicks that I'm not sure any other player on the roster does, just with this combination of length and athleticism. And again, it's it's on Reddish to harness that in the right ways. I beat the drum for him a million times. I, I think he made a real effort when he did get in for the Knicks to play pretty unselfishly. Like I, I kind of expected him to be a truck. And there were certainly moments where he took those really ugly step back threes and, and you kind of cringed, especially if you were like me and you were really rooting for the guy to break through and do well. But by and large, I think he was exceptionally unselfish. I think even if he had lapses defensively, he played very hard on that end of the floor. And, and again, just came up with steals that just from an, an athleticism perspective, no one else on the Knicks would even have access to or like have the instincts and, and closing speed and wingspan to tip a pass away. Um, he, he, he's, he's unique on this Knicks team. I, I think that's the only way I can sum it up. And I think it would be a real shame if the Knicks traded him before they explored what that could look like around their other young guys. Um, but like the rest of this episode, maybe it's all... I ended on an optimistic note last time, so maybe I'll end on a pessimistic note this time. It's all kind of wish fulfillment, right? As long as Tom Thibodeau is coach, like I, I think it's optimistic to think these things will happen, but maybe with his job teetering on the brink, maybe without a path to acquiring a clear superstar, he gets a little bit more experimental and the Knicks find something special. I, I can't help it, Alex. I always want to end on a happy note. When with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. So... Thank you to everyone for tuning in. We will continue our big question series throughout the rest of the week. But until then, be good. Talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks. Peace out.